morning, good morning. Good to see you all. And um, if you haven't met my friend, Yandre, he goes by Dre. Please introduce yourself to him um, after meeting. I should say he's my friend Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He's my trainer Tuesday and Thursday. So I don't really like him on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And um, I have to go to heart doctor and decide what to do. Okay. All right. I'll do that at the end of the meeting. Yep. All right. Thank you, Tammy. All right. Great. If I forget, Tammy wants us to pray for at the end of the meeting. So so we, um, as I said, raise my trainer Tuesday and Thursday, so I'm not so happy with them all the time. That's not true. I actually enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I'm glad he could come out this morning. Hope you get to meet him. Um, we are we are continuing. I think we just started it a couple um, weeks ago with a session on the commands of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. And I think, Brother Jonathan, was it you that you did um, repent where the Lord instructed us to repent? Uh, today, if you couldn't tell from the songs, and I'm thankful for the songs that were picked, today the... Um, phrase that we're looking at that the Lord Jesus utters in the gospel a couple times is follow me. So if you go back and think about the songs we just sung, there were a couple songs that had um, follow me or I will follow Jesus. Um, I think we would all admit that it's easy to sing those songs, right? (laughs) It's probably a lot harder, not probably, it's a lot harder to actually um, truly follow Jesus the way he wants us to. Um, one of the things that's a real blessing in, in studying the Bible and looking at the Bible and, and opportunities to teach it is the way in which the truth is shared with us. That it's not shared in an academic way. Um, and by looking at the Gospels and looking at the Lord Jesus' interaction with his disciples, we can actually learn a lot by just observing how he interacted with them how his conversations went with them, and their response to his instructions. And so we're going to spend, uh, not shockingly, we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of John and, and Mark and Matthew, well, actually all, all four, um, and we will end up think, looking at some verses in the uh, epistles, the doctrinal epistles, that give us some instruction about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, but again, I think uh, the important part, one of the phrases, let me say it this way, one of the phrases that um, kept going through my mind as I studied this was the idea of spending and being spent. Um, that when we follow Jesus, it is a um, decision, and it's a daily decision. It's not a once-and-done decision uh, for following him in service and in obedience, which was one of our first hymns. Um, it's a daily decision to spend and be spent um, of ourselves. And so I think, well, if we keep that in mind as we go through the scriptures today, it might help us um, understand some of that along the way. Um, the other thing just to keep in mind is that this series was put together, um, and, and hopefully the young people will get to hear some of these messages, because the series was, series was put together with the idea that information and understanding is not sufficient for our walk with the Lord. And that um, specifically one of the verses that was shared to sort of encapsulate our 
um, be an overarching verse with um, this series of messages is that we should not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. And so the exhortation is to obey, to hear the word of God and to obey um, along the way. So let's look at a couple examples of where the Lord Jesus gave instructions for his disciples to follow him and um, and look at the responses. So we're going to look in, in um, two groups of people, Peter, well, t- two people primarily, Peter, when the Lord called um, Peter the disciple, um, Peter the apostle, along with it came Andrew, um, but we're also going to then look at Matthew. And if we have some time, we may actually look at one other, too. So um, if you would turn to the Gospel of John and chapter 1. So the Gospel of John and chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 35. The Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 35. The next day, again, John, now this is a different John than the one who wrote the gospel. This is John the Baptist, as he becomes known. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we'll just stop there for a moment. We're going to pick back up in that particular section. But we're going to look at what happened here. For the first, in the Gospel of John, the first two people that are following Jesus were actually disciples of John the Baptist. Um, they were following John the Baptist. They were participating with his message of preparation. You'll recall from our study in the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights that John was a voice calling in the wilderness, getting people ready, mostly the Jewish people, but getting people ready to receive their Messiah, to receive the Lord Jesus and his message of his kingdom. So the Gospel of God according to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And twice in the in the opening book of John, the opening chapter of John, John the Baptist recognizes the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God. And again, we talked about this on Wednesday night, but just as a refresher, um, this refers back to uh, when the Jewish people were held uh, in slavery in Egypt. So many millennia ago, many thousands of years ago, when the Jewish people uh, were held in slavery in Egypt. God had wanted to free them from Egypt, Egypt, from their bondage in Egypt. And so he sent a bunch of plagues um, that, that uh, wreaked havoc in Egypt. But the last one was going to be um, a plague that would cause death in families in Egypt unless they applied the blood of a lamb to their doorpost. And so the Jewish people were told with great specificity about how to find this lamb, to go inspect the lamb and make sure that the lamb was perfect and a male was supposed to be male and a perfect lamb and then they were supposed to sacrifice it and they were supposed to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. And by applying the blood in obedience to the instructions from um, from God, the angel of death would pass over their house. And we know that um, that, that actually took place 
and that the people that applied the blood were spared. And John the Baptist recognizes Jesus as the fulfillment of that picture. And um, it, it's a picture, uh, the Lord is a picture of the Lamb of God because when he was um, sent to earth by God as the Son of God, became a man, that's why we, why we celebrate Christmas, it's the incarnation of the Son of God, his purpose was to go to the cross of Calvary where he would bear our sins um, in, in our holiday schedule, if you will, we call the, the day that the Lord Jesus died on the cross of Calvary Good Friday. Um, and then several days later, he was resurrected on Easter Sunday, and he went to be with his father at the right hand of him sitting in heaven on the throne. But that sacrifice on the cross where his death was accepted by God as payment for my sins and yours... And when his blood was shed, it was the price that was paid. In the in the, um, we don't have time to go unpack it all, but throughout the Old Testament, the only way God would forgive sins is if there was a blood sacrifice. There had to be a blood sacrifice for the Jewish people of old. It was bulls and goats and turtle doves and lambs, but ultimately and finally, all of those pointed to a to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would shed his blood. You know when we um, Remember the Lord in the take the breaking of the bread, uh, in, our, in what some people would call communion. We break the bread and we we pass it, and it symbolizes His body. And of course, when we pass the cup of wine, it symbolizes His shed blood. I, I grew up taking communion, and many of you did as well. And we practice that here, and it symbolizes the shed blood of Christ. And that shed blood is the the necessary payment that God demanded for our sins to be forgiven so that we could be made righteous. And John John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus Christ and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Earlier he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. And so he recognized that it, that in years to come, a couple years after this, three, four years, the Lord Jesus Christ would die on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for those who by faith would trust in the gospel of God according to his Son, and apply that blood, accept that blood as payment for their sins. But by pointing out who the Lord Jesus was, John the Baptist was, in essence, encouraging his disciples to follow Christ. Like, here's someone better than me, is what John was saying. I'm the voice, I'm the one pointing to Jesus, I'm the one pointing to the Lamb of God. Here he is, and so two of his disciples decided to follow Jesus. We're going to look at that the second calling of that. But what they what was interesting in this calling, where the Lord really didn't ask them to follow him, we're going to see where he does for these two people. He didn't ask him to follow the, him at that point, ask them to follow him. But his character and his nature and his mission was attractive to them. And for you and I, well, for everyone, actually, you know, one of the the first thing that we need to understand about the Lord Jesus, and this is where um, the truth in Scripture becomes so important, because many people all over the world have an idea who the, of who Jesus is. Some people would recognize him as a prophet. Some people might recognize him as a rabbi, some pe- or a teacher. Some people might recognize him as a rebel. But what the Bible teaches us is that he is the savior of mankind, that he is the savior of sinners, that anyone who believes on his name 
will have salvation, can, can be born again, as we sang to Nathan earlier today, right? That it, we're glad he has two birthdays. Um, and the same can be said for most of us in this room. So these two disciples were attracted to Jesus first and foremost as the Lamb of God, the way in which their sins could be forgiven. And that's the most important thing for us, that as we follow Jesus, our first step in following him has to be to follow him as our Savior. It doesn't do any good to follow him as one of many prophets, because he's so much more than that. It doesn't do us any good to follow him as one of many teachers, because he's so much more than that. It doesn't do us any good to follow him as one of many um, rulers, because he's more than that. The world has a lot to offer. We, Wendy and I have been watching a little series. It, it just ended last night. It's not a very uplifting series, but it was uh, National Geographic, um, the Pacific War in Color. So it was the World War II, and it was about how you know the U.S. had to, the U.S. and Japan were fighting in the Pacific War, and, and one of the weird dynamics is the U.S. government had to try keep going to the Dalai Lama to ask permission to pass through Tibet to get to China to, to help the Chinese expel the Japanese. Well, the Dalai Lama was 10 at this point. And here we have U.S. generals and, and emissaries trying to talk to this 10-year-old about passing through Tibet. Um, and he was a world leader at that point. Like, he had to, we had to go through him in order to do something in, in China. And the world has lots of leaders like the Dalai Lama and Mother, um, um, Mother Teresa and people like that. There's lots of leaders. Lots of lots of people with wisdom, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who satisfies the Son of God, who is the Son of God, and also who becomes our Savior. No one else it distinguishes him, him from that. And as we follow him, that's the first and foremost step, that we recognize that he is unique. In the book of Acts, we would be told there's no other name by which we can be saved. And so we see these two disciples follow Jesus because he's the Lamb of God. Um, if you look down a little bit um, to verse 41, uh, this is talking about Andrew. Andrew went and found his own brother Simon and said, We have found the Messiah, meaning that they have found the Savior, first and foremost. They, didn't want, they weren't worried about being healed at this point. They weren't worried about what he had to teach. They weren't worried about anything else but spending time with him. Um, as Peter came to John, uh, uh, Jesus in verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of God. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so here we see Andrew and Peter meeting the Lord Jesus um, as the Savior. Now I want you to turn to um, Matthew. So turn back a couple pages, more towards the mid, uh, you know, towards left. Turn left, if you will. <laughs> And go back to Matthew, and in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see Simon um, and Andrew again being called to follow Jesus, but this time it's going to be a slightly different scenario. They've already recognized him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God. Here they're going to be called for a different purpose. But remember the first step in all of this the first step in all of this is that you must first choose to follow him as your Savior. So in Matthew 4 and verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
He, that's the Lord Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their follow and their father. I'm sorry. Immediately he left their, the boat and their father and followed him. So here we see this t- same two people, Peter and Andrew, the same people that we see in in, in uh, the first chapter of John, where they recognized the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. That's what Messiah and Christ means, the anointed one, the one that God spoke about in the book of Psalms, the one that God spoke about in all of the Old Testament books. It all pointed to the Messiah, to the Son of God. And um, they recognized him as the Lamb of God. Here the Lord Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, the beginning of his ministry, and he sees them doing their work. So they weren't just loitering around, they were actually busy doing their work, and he calls them. Um, And it says here that um, Simon, Peter, and Andrew were casting nets, and they were fishermen. So we know what they did for a living, and they weren't the only fishermen of the Lord's disciples. You have to keep in mind where where they were. They were all living in, in in Israel, Galilee, near Jerusalem, near the ocean. Many of them made their living by uh, fishing. And the Lord Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me. Two very simple words, right? The subject of today's message, the subject of many of of the songs before the message. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. So it's an interesting, there's a couple interesting observations here. The first thing is that the Lord doesn't promise them anything. Doesn't promise them a salary. Doesn't promise them a reward. Doesn't, in in this calling, doesn't promise them uh, fame and fortune. Nothing. And and for many of us, as we chose to follow Christ, there was no certainty as to what it would all mean, right? There was no certainty. For myself, I was 25. I had gone to church all my life. I was 25 years old when I first heard the gospel. Um, Even though I had gone to church and heard plenty of Bible messages, I had never really heard the truth. Uh, the unadulterated truth that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And when I heard that and understood that Christ was the Savior I needed, um, I made a decision to follow him, right? I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant at that point. I didn't know what it, what it would mean. I actually had some really bad misperceptions. I thought I would never get sick again. I thought my career would just take off. Like I had, I thought that everything would be perfect. But we know, of course, that's not what Jesus promises, right? And we're going to look at some of that a little bit later. Um, We know that heaven will be perfect and eternity will be glorious, but he doesn't promise us that here on earth. So he just said to to Peter and Andrew, follow me. And then he says, I will make you. And I was just thinking about how um, often we gloss over that. They were fishers and we thought, oh, this is a cute little pun where he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But I was thinking about the emphasis of the beginning part of that sentence where he says, I will make you. Where the Lord takes responsibility and takes authority and exercises the power in saying that he is going to make them fishers of men. Not, he didn't say, 
follow me. I noticed you're good fishermen, and so you'll be good for this job. Like he didn't say that, right? And when he calls us, he doesn't call us because of who we are in the flesh, right? He doesn't call the rich and powerful. He doesn't call the only the rich and powerful. He doesn't call only the smart and gifted. He doesn't call people based on their talents and abilities. He calls them because he loves them, right? We were, um, I think, our brother Jake was praying that, and we talked about that a little bit during the singing too. But Christ loves us, and because of that great love with which he loved us, he calls us and asks us to follow him. He, his goal. He didn't die on the cross of Calvary because it was going to be pleasant. He didn't die on the cross of Calvary because it was he had a martyr um, mentality. He died on the cross of Calvary because he loved us. The famous verse that that almost everyone probably in the United States knows and probably elsewhere around the world: "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life." And we read about Christ's love for us that he died for us. Right? He died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He calls us to himself not because he's looking to lead some political movement. Not because he's looking to lead uh, some um, re- something here special on earth. He calls us because he loves us and he wants and desires us to confess our sins and to recognize him as the only means by which we can be reconciled to a holy and just God. And then he calls us to follow him in service, or to follow him. Service sounds like it's um, a part of your life, and it's really not. He calls us to be with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. That's a little odd when we think about fellowship. We're talking about when we when we work together with one another, um, when we labor together with one another. And the Lord's not just calling us to be evangelists or Bible teachers or um, Sunday school teachers or something like that. He's calling us to be with him all the time. He wants us to follow him day by day. With each passing moment, as the song goes right, step by step, he wants us to follow him. And as we do, he will do in our lives what is necessary for us to be useful to him, for us to bring glory to him, and for us to be good uh, for our lives and good for other people's lives. And so for Peter and Andrew, he says, follow me, and I am going to make you fishers of men. It had nothing to do with their fishing ability. Because obviously, fishing ability and being a fisher of men, it's a phrase that the Lord Jesus used to really em- emphasize the fact that he needed Peter and Andrew, and he was going to equip Peter and Andrew to share the message of the gospel so that the kingdom of God could spread. He needed um, messengers, if you will. He needed more messengers, people that would follow him, hear his message, and share his message with other people. He didn't really need fishers, fishermen, but he used that phrase um, to tell them what they were going to do. They were going to share a message with their countrymen, and hopefully their countrymen would hear, believe, and follow the one that they were following as well. Um, but I was really um, 
I think I was really taken back by the fact that the Lord Jesus took full ownership of what he was going to do with them, that he was going to make them fishers. And and as you know, we've studied um, other books in the Bible, like Romans and First Corinthians, uh, where it talks about spiritual gifts. And we recognize clearly in Scripture that the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who makes, who gives gifts, and who equips people to do the work that he's given them to do uh, in his kingdom. So if we look at what was their reaction, if you look at verse 20, this is where uh, we get some helpful hints on how we're supposed to behave. Immediately, right, I think, um, again, whoever, Jake, did you pick out all the songs? Thank you for um, picking out very thematic songs. Um, obedience, right? What is what is the phrase in the song we sing? Do it when you get around to it. That would be hard to squeeze into the song, right? Obedience, do it when you can. Do it when you're free. No, do it immediately is what we sing, right? And here, the disciples heard the Lord Jesus say, follow me, and immediately. And notice what... They were, they were working. Like this was their means by which they were supporting themselves and, and their families. And immediately they left their work. I, you know, you all know what I do for a living. This is a really busy time of the year uh, for us, right? We're working 60 plus hours a week, six, seven days a week. Um, it's hard to do anything during the week, during the day. Um, like to take a break, right? If if I was thinking about this as well, like I would hope that if the Lord Jesus was standing at my door and said, "Mike, I'm I follow me now," I hope I wouldn't say I have about 400 more tax returns to look at. You know, like it, it's just like the the urgency of what we're involved in sometimes is so overwhelming. But Peter and and Andrew were casting their nets. They were busy. They were making a living. They were doing what they should have been doing and what they ought to have been doing. And the Lord Jesus says, follow me. And immediately they left their nets. Basically, it means immediately they left their jobs. They left their livelihood and followed him. No, no promise of them getting paid. Uh, no promise of a pension, retirement, health care, nothing like that. They abandoned their livelihood and followed Jesus immediately. And keep in mind, they already knew who he was. So they didn't need to be convinced that he was worthy of being followed. They had already recognized him from the first time they encountered him in the beginning of John as the Savior of sinners, as the Messiah, the Christ. And now they see him as one being worthy of following, of sacrificing their life, of, of setting aside their livelihood and following him. Uh, we're not focusing on these other two, but I want to uh, read the next two verses as well because it's all, we all, there's also some helpful hints there for us. In verse 21 of Matthew 4, we read, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here we see John and James, and the Lord calls them in the same sort of way. Now, not all of the twelve disciples were fishermen. We we know that, right? Um, but these two, these 
other two were as well. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were mending their nets after a, a, a big haul of fish, working with their father, and the Lord calls them. And it says in verse 22 again, immediately, immediately, they left their boat and their father. So Peter and Andrew left their livelihood, right? They left their, their nets, the means by which they made money. Here, James and John, and I think this is done as an emphasis, because Peter and Andrew had a family as well, but as the Lord called them as they were there with Zebedee, they left their family and their family business, if you will. And I think the example is given to us here as a, as a further sacrifice of, of um, for some that are called. I, 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 again, I think Jake mentioned in either his prayer or in his comment that, you know, it's easy for us to gather here and to study the Bible and sing. There are many countries in the world where you can't do that as freely as we do. There's many countries where if we were gathering freely, we could we would be subject to arrest, k- killing, persecution, etc. Um, there are some parts of the world where if you confess Christ, you're kicked out of your family. Uh, if you're raised in a, in a devout Muslim family, you would be ostracized. And other families. Um, there are some parts of the world where it's illegal to convert to Christianity. Um, but for most of us in, in this country, uh, there's, a, there's a small price to pay. We don't really get kicked out of our families. We don't often lose our jobs. We don't lose our friends and family. And the friends that we do lose, um, I, from my own uh, experience, the friends that we, we do lose were friends that were bringing me down, right? And the Lord replaces them with, with other friends uh, and family members that are far more beneficial for our lives. So they left their boat and their family to follow him. And so again, these are examples that are given to us. These are real life examples where we're looking at the commandments of the Lord Jesus in Scripture. We're looking at his interaction with the first, you know, with four people here, where he says, Follow me. And in the four instances, they did immediately what he asked them to do. And we know from Scripture that he used these four people uh, throughout Scripture. We know that some of them died a martyr's death. Um, as, um, some of them had difficulty. Uh, we're going to turn to John 21 for a minute. We're going to finish the look one more time at the Lord's instruction to Peter before we jump on to the next one. But at the end of the book of book of John, just before Acts, in John 21. You'll recognize this um, scripture. This is after the Lord Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection. So he's um, risen from the dead at this time and is appearing in bodily form to the disciples before he goes up, before he ascends into heaven. And he's talking to Peter again. So this is the third time, at least the third time in scripture, where Peter is exhorted or called to follow Christ. So it's not, again, for salvation. This is for service, for obedience, for, if you will, a lifestyle choice. Um, And in verse 15, again, this is the ascended Lord Jesus. He says to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You'll recall that this is happening because Peter denied the Lord Jesus um, after the crucifixion. Uh, some people said, well, aren't you one of his? <laughs> and the one who immediately followed Jesus, as we read, said, no, no, not me. And then someone said, but you sound like you're from the same neck of the woods as he was. No, no, not me, right? And so he denied Jesus three times as the Lord Jesus prophesied that he would or told him that he would. And so here the Lord is restoring him and giving him some instruction and giving him some encouragement. And he says, do you love me? You know, Peter, you know, the Lord knew Peter's heart, so he didn't really need the answer, but he needed Peter to answer him. Because Peter didn't really show the Lord love in his denial, but he says, yes, I love you. And the Lord asked him a few more times. And then he goes down to verse 19, uh, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. What kind of death he was to glorify God. So in other words, the Lord was telling Peter, you're going to die a martyr. Your hands are going to be stretched out and you're going to be carried to your own death. And then he says, after and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he told Peter, you're going to be at a point where you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry, carry you where you do not want to go. And this was part of how he was going to die. And then the Lord Jesus says, follow me. Not many people would follow someone who said, you're going to die because of following me. Not many people would. Not many sane people would. And yet, because of what Peter saw in the Lord Jesus that first time when he was with John the Baptist and he saw the Lamb of God and recognized him as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Anointed One, Peter was willing to follow him, willing to leave the nets, willing to leave the family business, willing to leave his uh, livelihood, and here, willing to lose his life, he would follow Jesus. And we know the, the... uh, history of Peter. The Lord used him greatly, uh, but we also know that he died a martyr's death. Now let's look at one, another uh, person that was called by the Lord Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Much different scenario than Peter. Much different scenario. Matthew chapter 9. And verse 9. Again, Jesus is visiting different cities and villages in his earthly ministry. And here we read in chapter 9, verse 9, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, elsewhere he's going to be called Levi, and we'll, we'll see that, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, that's Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with, eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew's a tax collector, not a tax preparer. Tax preparers are much higher quality people than Matthew is. We try to keep your money from the tax collectors. The tax collectors try to take your money. We, of course, try to do it legally. So um, Matthew was sitting there, and, and you know history would, would account for the fact that tax collectors at this time, it was a position of authority. They probably bought the position from the Roman government. They used it to extract money. It was not a very honorable job, and the people were not very honorable people, usually. They took more than they were supposed to take. Um, But the Lord saw Matthew sitting there doing his job and called him and said, follow me. And this greedy, evil guy rose and followed him. And not only did he rise and follow him, and there's a sense of immediacy because not only did he rise and follow him, but if you read on, and we're going to look in in Luke as well where there's another account of this story, he went home, he invited Jesus into his home, and he invited all his friends and family. Like, come meet the one who called me. Come meet the one who I'm now following. And he prepared a dinner, and they were all there. And the Pharisees, just as to, re, to um, remind us who they were, they were sort of the Jewish religious leaders, and they um, were very fond of, of um, trying to trap people into doing wrong things. Right, like, oops, you sinned, you, you uh, rescued a lamb on, on the Sabbath day, you're a sinner. And, those, and they tried to t- catch the Lord Jesus all the time doing wrong things. And of course we know that the Lord Jesus never sinned. That's why he was the sinless sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary. But Matthew invites all of these sinners, if you will, and the Pharisees say, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? <laughs> and the Lord Jesus had a beautiful answer. He said, sick people need a doctor. Healthy people don't. And it reminds us that sinners need a savior, right? In, in December of, of 1990, when I was 25 years old, realizing I'm a sinner, I knew I needed a savior. And, and like most of you, when you were 25, I wasn't doing anything that the world would consider wrong. I was enjoying my career. I was enjoying the group of friends I was with. But that's not what God is looking for, and that's what—that's not what life is about. When I heard the gospel and realized that I had a sin problem, and we all do, the uh, Romans would say that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards, right? It's not, are you living good enough for your neighbors? Are you living good enough for your parents? Do your friends think you're good? It's not that. It's God's standard. And God's standard is complete holiness. And none of us can live up to that standard except for the Lord Jesus. And so when I realized that I didn't meet God's standard, 
I knew I needed a savior. The challenge is, is that there's so many people, and I know people like this. I'm related to people like this, that believe that they're right with God because they're good people. And and in relationship to other people, they are good people. <laughs> you know, maybe they go to church. Maybe they, they maybe they pray. But they wreck they, they, they have a stumbling block in that they think that they're okay with God because they're better than their neighbors or they're better than their brother or sister or they're better than their coworkers. And they think that, that what's that's makes them acceptable to well wouldn't a loving God think I live a good life? And what God thinks is that we've fallen short of his standard. But the great part about it is because he loves us so much, that mattered to him that that standard and our failure to meet it separated us from him. It mattered so much to him that he sent his son so that we could correct that problem, so that his death on the cross of Calvary could correct that problem. And Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. And he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He made the sacrifice. He's not looking for us to sacrifice. He's not looking for... I can remember talking to a kid at camp who was very, very good at soccer. And he just didn't want to give his life to Jesus. And he literally said to me, I'm afraid if I follow Jesus, he's not going to want me to play soccer. And I said, he made you a good soccer player. If you put it in the right priority and the right perspective, he could use that. He's not robbing us of what we enjoy doing. He wants to give us the best of what we have uh, for our life. Follow me. And he rose, rose and follow him. So we have to look at a couple of things. What does it mean? And we're going to look quickly. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I'm going to give you two opposites of the spectrum. Look at Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 23. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's between Matthew and John. Luke 9, 23. So we know it's not all as the... as the. <laughs> it's too bad um, Emmy's not up here. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, right? Emmy sometimes wears a little unicorn hat with, with flashing lights um, on Wednesday night. Our life isn't all unicorns and rainbows when we follow the Lord Jesus. And in Luke chapter 9 we read, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So when we follow the Lord Jesus, what we're basically... Think about following someone. We don't have to do this anymore. We all have GPS. But back in the old days, if you want... I can remember back in 1994... When I went to um, Greenwood Hills for the first time, I followed, uh, this will bring back scary memories for all of you, but Bruce Holsheiser and John Bott were in one car, and I followed them all the way from Allentown to Greenwood Hills, two and a half hours away, because there's no other way of getting there except following people, right? We didn't have GPS, we didn't, we didn't, I think I had a cell phone, but not a smartphone by sh- for sure. I don't know how I used to get around where I used to get around now that you have GPS everywhere, right? But if you think about following something, when you follow someone, you have to follow them. Like, you can't let them out of sight. You have to go where they go. 
And the Lord Jesus says here that if anyone wants to follow me, come after me, they have to deny themselves. You can't choose your own path if you're following Christ. That's what this means. I have to die to my own desires of what I want to do in life. And I follow Christ. Now the good part about that is it's not misery. It's joy. In following him, he's allowed me to be an accountant. He's allowed me to get married to a wonderful woman. He's allowed me to be part of the... You know, there's, it's not misery. It, when we think of denying self, we think of misery sometimes. Last Wendy went shopping yesterday. And Dre, close your ears. She bought a carrot cake. Um, and, the, <laughs> and the point was that we were going to each have a slice and she was bringing the rest in. So it's downstairs so that we only each had a slice, but the rest of it is downstairs because we we wanted... Uh, it's not good for me to have carrot cake. It's not, it's, it's not helping me meet my goals. And you think about that, oh, woe is me, I'm denying myself dessert, right? It's not like that. We're, we're doing something better by following our Savior, the one who loved us more than anyone else. So we deny ourselves... Because we're following him. Now let's go to the um, other extreme. Matthew, back to Matthew 11. Matthew 11 and verse 28. This is the Lord also talking about those that follow him. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. A couple of you asked me this morning how I'm doing, and I said I'm tired. When I was 38 or 28, it was easier to work 60 plus hours a week. Now that I'll be 58 in 20 days, it's tiring and sometimes when we're going through life and we're trying to do things on our own and we're trying to figure things out on our own and we're struggling and not having the solutions and the answers, it's tiring. And so, yes, following Jesus means that we set aside our own desires and plans and goals and expectations, but in so many cases, he gives it all back to us in a better better package. <coughs> But it also means rest. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. And following Jesus means rest and hope and peace because of what we have with Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do want to bring before you Tammy and we pray that you would continue um, to uh, minister to her and... and, uh, Heal the parts of her that need to be healed. Uh, We pray that you would give the doctors wisdom and skill in taking care of her. We thank you for the Sunday school classes that are taking place downstairs. We pray that as the children hear about your son, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And for those of us that heard the passages of truth from your word today, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would use them to call us, Uh, whether under salvation or under service, and that we would accept the invitation to follow you, follow your son, that we would recognize it means denying self, but it also means rest. And we just give you thanks for your son. 
We now thank you as well for the food that has been provided downstairs for our meal. We pray that you would use it to give us health and strength, and we thank you again for the abundant provision that you give to us uh, as a small token of your love for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Online, but I don't have Wi-Fi where I can see people. Because I hate you. I can tell this people. This week, I have a stranger.